Well, good morning, everyone. What a great way to start off our Sunday, right? Oh, that was good worship. If we, uh, if we haven't met before, I'm not Senior Pastor Mark Crean. Hopefully that much is obvious. Uh, my name is Kyle Denny. I'm the Youth Pastor here and the Director of Finance. So if you have questions about middle school or high school or money, uh, you can come, come talk to me. Would love to help how I can. Uh, we are going to be in James chapter 4 today, verses 1 to, to 7a. So if you have a Bible and you like to read it that way, feel free to open up to James 4. Uh, if not, we'll put it on the screen, so, so no worries. I'm going to buy you just a minute to get there, James 4. And I'm going to use this time and leverage it for youth group. So uh, if you were not aware, we have a middle school youth group event today, and it's a Nerf gun war. So if Nerf guns are not your thing, don't worry. We have other stuff planned that you can do. It's not all, you know, it's not all Nerf guns. Oh, you can do something else instead. But if Nerf guns are your thing, we're going to rock it. So come, come enjoy. If you bring your Nerf guns here, it's going to be a pity party. There's no one here. This is not where we meet for youth group. We meet at our other building off uh, Hazlitt Road, 1340. And it's today from 4 to 530. So if you're interested, please come to that. Uh, just middle schoolers, parents, no, you can't bring your Nerf gun. Sorry. Sorry, I know you want to. Um, if you're not getting the emails and you, you want to be included in on this, uh, you can either fill out a Connect card in the pews around you. You can email me at kyle at nhchurch. If you're uh, on our live stream, welcome. Glad you're viewing that way. You can go to our website and go to the Contact Us page. But we do try to keep you updated with uh, emails that go out, and, and we'd love to make sure you're in the loop on that. Uh, so I, I have a tradition where, where I just like to read the passage out in front of us, uh, just to see kind of where we're going today. And so we are in James chapter 4, in verse 1, this is what it says. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It is not the source your pleasures that wage war on your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he made to dwell in us, but, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. The word of the Lord. You know, I, I almost passed on this passage because it, it just felt so unapplicable. You know, quarrels and conflict in the church, that's not a thing anymore. Like we had 2,000 years with this letter. We're, we're, we're not infighting, are we? Especially not during a global pandemic. If only, uh, if only that were true. But we're actually going to be talking about something much more important than quarrels and conflicts today. This passage and letter, it was most likely written by Jesus's half-brother, James. He was a man that tradition said had knees as hard as camels. How would you like that description of you? Like just, just hard knees. But it's because they were so calloused from his prayer life. Suddenly that's a better description, right? Tradition says that he was thrown from the temple and then clubbed to death 
by Jewish leaders because of his love and testimony for Jesus. And while he was being beaten to death, he was praying to God that God would forgive his attackers for what they were doing. Man, I, I don't know about you, but, but I want to listen and hear what this church leader has to say, especially because it's God's word. It's what God has to say. And just as a, a side note, a little freebie, uh, James, James was opposed to Jesus and his earthly ministry. He didn't believe in him. He didn't understand. He kind of thought he was going a little crazy with what he was doing until Jesus was resurrected and visited him. And then that changed. How how many of you have siblings in in this this congregation? Okay, yeah. Hey, hey, if I'm looking for proof that Jesus is the real deal, that he's actually God, convincing your sibling that you're God and being so convinced of it that you will not refute it even while you're being clubbed to death, that rate's pretty high in my book. Like, I I can't convince my brother anything, let alone something like I'm God, you know? So we're about to step right into this little family meeting of sorts, and and James is going to have some some hard words that he's giving in love, and and they're meant to, to wake up his readers, and I think they're more applicable to us today than, than we realize He starts off, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And and I'm I'm an auditor by nature. I'm curious. I I can't help but wonder, what would James' audience say? Like, he keeps it broad as quarrels and conflicts, but but what were they fighting about? If you're into circling things in, in your Bible, go ahead and circle or underline among you. These fights breaking out were were happening with believers. And it's a badge of shame that there's quarrels and conflicts going on. If we were to ask ourselves that that same question, what was the source of the last conflict that we got involved in? If we were to look on a grand scale and look at the American church, maybe, we might say masks, we might say vaccines, We might say elections or racial issues or stay home orders or misinformation. On and on and on we can go. And those are all important things, but but, but that's smoke and mirrors. You know that, right? That's not the source of our fighting. We were fighting before the pandemic. And if we're not careful, we're going to continue that fighting after the pandemic. If you think that quarrels and conflicts are going to go away in the church just because the pandemic will eventually end, I'm sorry to tell you that's not the case. This pandemic, it's only brought to the surface what was already there. Some of you have a a green thumb and you're really good at gardening and pruning. I tip my hat to you. That is not a skill set that God gave me. If you're going on vacation, do not ask me to water your plants. You will not like the outcome. So he, he didn't give me a green thumb, per se, but he did give me a lawnmower. And you know what I've noticed? Is that if you don't get weeds at the source, man, they just grow back. If you don't take the time to get weeds at the source, they just grow back. Now, normally when I'm mowing the lawn, like, like I'm just booking it. I'm a little frazzled that the lawn grew back as quick as it did. 
I have allergies. And so normally my face is this runny, gloopy mess. Gloopy is a word, look it up. And then there's like the mosquitoes, right? They're like these mini vultures that are just like attacking you out for blood. Like I'm not taking the time to pull weeds in that moment. Don't even talk to me about Roundup. I don't want to hear it. And so without fail, these weeds will do what weeds do best. They sprout back up again and again and again. My, my lawn is a testament to that. All of these quarrels that we get into, man, they're just the top of the weed. You cut it off and that issue may not come back, but it will remanifest itself in a different way. And it will lead to fresh quarrels and conflicts down the road. Church, there, there is something else at work in our fighting. And that's why the source matters. James says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? <laughs> and I have to say, I'm a little disappointed. I was really hoping he was going to say, is not the source that the other side is uninformed? Or is not the source that the other side is unreasonable? Or is not the source that the other side is wrong? Those would all be okay in my book. But that, that's not what he says. He says it's, it's pleasures. And we need to walk through that a little bit. This pleasure, it's a Greek word and it's hedone. And the way the New Testament uses it, it's more than our hobbies or recreations. So calm down. I'm not, I'm not picking on your football or your pickleball. These are not the innocent pleasures in our life. It's a pleasure that carries the flavor of rebellion. Every time it's mentioned in the Bible, it's always working against God. It is dragging and pulling us back into darkness. These pleasures are our rebellious delights. Look at the way one theologian put it. A.T. Robertson said, the word for pleasure does not necessarily mean sensual pleasure, but that which is sweet and leads to sinful strife, like ambition, love of money, or power. I like that. That which is sweet and leads to sinful strife. When you know something juicy about someone, something they did or something they said, isn't there a little bit of glee, a little bit of sweetness when you gossip about them? That is a rebellious delight. Or, or when someone has wronged you, when you feel that deep inside of you and, and it just hurts, isn't there a sweetness? Isn't there a soothing that coming, comes from just being bitter at them, just simmering in that bitterness all day long and thinking evil thoughts about them? Or when someone holds a different stance than us, isn't there this powerful, intoxicating feeling that we know better than them and that they're a fool because they don't agree with us. That, are, that is these rebellious delights. There was a 17th century Jewish philosopher named Spinoza. That sounds more Italian to me. But he observed, I have often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. Translation, our actions 
aren't lining up with our words. And the outside world is picking up on that. This was 17th century. Would he have seen anything different in your life this past year and a half? Man, if we threw up on the big screen a transcript or a video of some of the fights that we got into or on whatever we're most passionate about, would he see peace? Would he see patience? Would he see gentleness and self-control or other fruit of the Spirit? Especially among believers, are you quicker to stir the pot on your favorite conflict than you are to talk about Jesus and what God is doing in your life? If we embrace these rebellious delights, there's going to be quarrels and conflicts. There's going to be a festering need to tear the church down. And I'm not saying there can't be a difference of opinion or, or that you shouldn't be confident on where you stand on different issues. Like there's diversity in the church, but there shouldn't be division and disunity. Our, our words should not be dripping with pride and anger and bitterness. This pandemic has been a reminder that, that something else is vying for our souls. James says it's waging war inside his readers. Now he's going to go on to describe the, these people who have wholly embraced these rebellious delights. And so we're going to draw out two reasons to reject these delights and a remedy for the problem. If you're into outlines, that's where we're going. Two reasons and a remedy. He says in verse two, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures, your head and a. This is just a little bit of trivia for you, but uh, did you know that chickens can turn cannibalistic? Some of you knew that. Okay, I'm a city boy. I didn't know that. I was fascinated by that. Some of you own chickens. You're like, yeah, all the time. But when a chicken gets the taste of another chicken's blood or flesh, they just start pecking that chicken to death. Like there is blood going on. There's feathers. There's probably the wing that's laying off. And they're still pecking that chicken to death. Is it too early for that illustration? Is that a little? I'm keeping it. Nope, we're going with it. Some in James's congregation, they have tasted these rebellious delights, and now they are out for blood. Can you feel that inner gnawing that these pleasures create? Like if we take envy, for instance, it's just a little bit of envy, and it hollows us out inside like a pumpkin. Man, if I, I only had their money, or if I only had their free time, or their family, or their friends, and suddenly it feels like there's this hole inside of us. It feels like we're just rotted through, that, that little sweetness that leads to sinful strife. And that's our first reason we're going to unpack today. Unless we reject our rebellious delights, we're going to rot from the inside out. Unless we reject our rebellious delights. We're going to rot. We're all family here, right? This is a safe place, isn't it? I have been under uh, just a little bit of pressure lately. Maybe you guys can, can relate. And I won't go into the details, but there's just a lot of stuff swirling with the Denny family right now. 
And it's all coalescing at the same point. And so what it has done is it has made my insight into this pressure cooker. Like it's all just like knotted up and tense in here. And my fuse has been bedtime with my boys. Like it is not uncommon for it to take two and a half hours for our bedtime. So what that means is if we start at 6.30, it's not until nine o'clock that we're done with the routine. That's most of our evening. And I'm not a victim. Please save your sympathy. I don't need it. My boys are awesome. I would gladly, when I'm in my right mind, walk through that with them. But when I have my checklist and there are things that I need to do, or, or when I have problems that I don't have the answer to, and I feel all this pressure building up, man, there are days that I just embrace the anger. And I, I verbally unleash on my boys. Hopefully you didn't think that, that those who come on this stage are perfect. I say this to my shame, but, but you know what I've noticed amidst all that? When you embrace that rot, when you embrace those delights, it just gets easier the next time. When you try to excuse it, when you justify it, it becomes easier. It erodes something inside you and it spreads that rot even further. There is nothing more humbling than squatting down and talking to my two-year-old and my four-year-old and saying, please forgive Dada. That, that wasn't okay. I should not have been screaming at you like that. But I want to sever the rot. I don't want that growing in me. Do you? James says you, you lust and do not have. You are envious and cannot obtain. Can you see that hole, that emptiness that James is describing in these people. They are trying to fill it inside them and they are getting furious because it's not working. They're not even trying to resist these pleasures. It's a sign of the rot on the inside, but it doesn't just stop there. It leads to rot on the outside. Man, it breaks down into quarrels and fighting and murder. And we need to pause there. Like I, I don't think James's congregation actually has a problem with murder. I think if that was the case, maybe a little more in the letter would be devoted to murder. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I, I think he is talking about an unholy anger that is there. If you remember, Jesus makes that comparison on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21, between anger and murder. And it's fueled by these pleasures that they are chickens with a taste of blood. And they are just pecking, pecking, pecking each other to death. And Paul actually talks about this in Galatians 5. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. They are consuming one another. And the rot, it continues on. It doesn't stop on their insides. It doesn't stop on their interactions with others. It spreads to their relationship with God. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. 
they have effectively cut God out of their thinking and out of their mindset, out of their actions. They are self-dependent and self-focused where they are abandoning God. Let me walk that back a little bit. Self-dependent. They don't even ask God for what they want. They are prideful and stubborn where they think that everything they have in their life is because of their efforts or their connections or their due diligence, their money. They think they are the sole provider. They don't see God working in the background. They don't believe that every good gift is from heaven above. And if they do ask God for something, then they're self-focused about it. They, they ask God for something to fuel their own destructive cravings. And it just perpetuates the cycle over and over and over again. Look, God's a good God. He, don't, don't believe the lie that he's this cranky guy in the cloud that doesn't want you to have any fun. That's not who God is. He loves to give good gifts. He created pleasure like he, he wants things to be enjoyed. You can ask him for good things. I ask him for good things. But he's not going to be known as the one who joyfully gives you poison for your life. No more than I'm going to be the parent that gives my son a fork to go play with the outlets. Like that, that, that's not what we do. He's not going to feed you these pleasures that are going to hollow you out inside. That, that's not a picture of a loving God. So reject the hedone, reject these rebellious delights or our lives will rot from the inside out. Look at the second reason James gives to reject these rebellious delights. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, what do we do with that? Like if, if this is a little family meeting, is this where James just flips the dining room table and erupts into name calling? You adulteresses. Like that's some pretty strong language, isn't it? But context is king. We can't take our culture and shove it into James's culture. He's talking about adultery to be sure. But, but not necessarily with their bodies. James is a first century Jew. He's brought up in a Jewish context and he's speaking to Jewish Christians. This is not a low blow that he gives. He's drawing from their familiarity with the Old Testament in which God continually tells Israel that they're being unfaithful to him. He, he's just continually comparing Israel to a prostitute because they keep turning to other gods small g gods, and other idols. that They are chasing down something else. And James makes the comparison between them and his readers. I love his sass, by the way. He says, do you not know? Get him, James, get him. We'll pick up that theme of spiritual adultery in a second. But, but the second reason is if we fail to reject our rebellious delights, we'll be fighting against God and tearing down his work. James describes their adultery in terms of who they're friends with. And notice there, there's no statement of neutrality here. You are either a friend of God or a friend of the world. And the way world or, or the Greek word cosmos is used here, 
is as a kingdom of fallen creation. It's everything that is broken and in open rebellion against God. To embrace these rebellious delights, to embrace the arrogance or the pride in our heart is to embrace the kingdom of fallen creation. If you're into Disney movies, it's to give it a nice big Olaf hug. Our concept of friendship is at times a little diluted, I think. You know, we, we use friends for everything. You know, like we have hundreds of friends on Facebook. We have thousands of likes and followers on Instagram or TikTok or MySpace. That last one really isn't a thing anymore, but it, this is not friendship though, right? There's no closeness there. Look at Proverbs 18, 24 with me. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. At the very base level, friendship is about closeness. At the start of World War I, the U.S. was very hesitant to jump into the warfare. Understandably, they wanted to stay isolated from it. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson, he, he had a strict policy of impartial neutrality that a majority of the nation backed. He, he said once, and, and listen closely to this, he was addressing the Senate, and this is just a snidbit of his speech. He said, the United States must be neutral in fact, as well as in name during these days that are to try men's souls. We must be impartial in thought as well as in action. We must put a curb upon our sentiments as well as upon every transaction that might be construed as a preference of one party to the struggle before another. Can you see, he doesn't want closeness with either side. And I have no judgment for our nation or our president at that time. We sit on this side of history where hindsight is 2020, but the United States hesitated because we knew the cost of friendship during wartime. To be a friend of one is to be an enemy of the other. We still have a war going on though. It's a cosmic war and, and everyone gets drafted. There's no statement of neutrality here. You, you can't love sin and love rebellion and be a friend of God. You, you have to choose a side, rebellion against your king or friendship, closeness with your king. Bitterness, envy, unholy anger, man, man that's part of the world. That's getting close with the world. That is not who Jesus showed us in his earthly ministry. That's not who the Father is. James is saying that these people who are embracing rebellious delights, they're fighting on the wrong side. They've become hostile towards God and his purposes. If we fail to reject our rebellious delights, we'll be fighting against God and tearing down his work. James considers, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit, which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you spotted me at a coffee shop and you heard me being flirtatious with someone, maybe I was giving really sweet little compliments or caressing their hands or uh, just laughing, you know, giggly, young and in love, and you turn the corner and it was my wife, you might think, oh, eight years of marriage, three kids, still young and in love, that's so cute. But if you turn the corner and it, it was a different woman who was not my wife, 
And that should produce some outrage in you. That is the flavor of jealousy that God has for us. We are to be exclusively his. Is that how we think of our relationship with God though? I would never think of flirting with another woman, but anger, pride, puffing myself up and thinking I'm better than someone else. I would dabble with that. That's flirting with the world. That's friendship. That's closeness with the world. And it's turning away from God. Now to be exclusively his, like frankly, that just sounds impossible, doesn't it? It's no small task. I mean, some people get cold feet about marriage and the commitment that is. How much higher is this spiritual commitment to God? And yet it says that God gives a greater grace because of it. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, has said, God gives what he demands. So if you believe in Jesus, his spirit is now working inside of you where you get to choose life or death. I mean, we sang about that in one of the songs today, that our chains have been broken. Apologizing to my two-year-old and four-year-old, that can be seen as humiliating and unnecessary to others. But not if you're humble. Not if you recognize how dangerous these rebellious delights are. If you can't take responsibility for your rebellious delights, if you can't see that they're wrong, then how is God going to help you? God opposes the proud. To embrace our rebellious delights is to fight against God and to tear down what he is doing. So how do we do it then? Like, how do we actually pull up the roots of division from the source? What's the remedy? James has a lot to say uh, throughout these next verses, but we're just going to focus on the first half of verse 7. He says, submit, therefore, to God. That answer is both simple and really hard. The way submit is used here, it's different than obeying. It's not unrelated, but it's different. James uses submit, which is a military term, which means get into your proper rank. It suggests this chain of command, and it's the surrendering of one's will, which then goes on to lead to obedience. You have to submit to God. You have to surrender your will to God and his wisdom, even if your feelings are telling you differently even if your friends or family are telling you differently, even if your social media is telling you differently. Look at what Paul, uh, the apostle, says to his friend Titus. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, and look at this part, slaves to various passions and pleasures, had an A, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And we, we used to be enslaved to these pleasures but that is past tense if you're a believer. That's not who you are anymore. If you put your faith in Jesus, you can reject these. You can confess them. You can repent and apologize for them. You can turn away from them. And here's why. Paul goes on to say, verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. God showed you mercy. 
And will you let go of these pleasures and instead embrace a God full of mercy? He saved you. His goodness and loving kindness has appeared. Do you believe that? That when you were wretched, when you were on the other side of conflict, that God reached in and saved you because of his mercy? Are you willing to trust and submit to that caliber of a God, to that loving of a God? Can you surrender your will to that God? Or are you just going to keep stirring that pot of your favorite little conflict? Jesus showed us the way to submit. He he is our savior. He's not just a role model, don't mishear me, but he did show us the way too. Jesus experienced every temptation for these rebellious delights in a heavier, more exaggerated way. You want to talk about gossip? Man, Jesus knew the the juicy details of people's lives. But, But he didn't gossip with the woman at the well. He sat down next to her and he extended her mercy. You want to talk about arrogance? Jesus literally knows all the right answers 100%. And yet he doesn't write off his followers. He he doesn't treat them condescendingly and with exasperation. He treats them lovingly and tenderly. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And can you submit to caring for others like that? Envy, he was in heaven. He had everything. He gave everything up and he emptied himself to walk this earth as a servant. By his own words, he had no place to rest his head, and yet he was content, he was filled to do the work that God placed in for him. Can you submit to lead a lower position like that? Finally, bitterness. (laughs) He went through the most excruciating death for a creation that literally spit on him while he was dying. God unloaded our sin onto him, every single one. And while he was faithfully absorbing and paying for our sin, people walked by and arrogantly mocked him, wagging their fingers, saying, if he's really God, let him come down. But he didn't. He trusted God. Can you submit to trusting God like that and letting go of your bitterness? Jesus has experienced every temptation for a rebellious delight in a heavier, more exaggerated way. But he never gave in to those pleasures because that way does not lead to life, church. You want to pull up the roots of conflict instead of just mowing them over again and again? Don't embrace the bitterness or the anger or the arrogance. Submit to God. Surrender your will to God. If you're tired of the rot, if you're tired of the the friendship and the closeness to the world, if you feel the emptiness in all of the fighting going around, come to Jesus. He is the one that has everlasting life. He is the only shelter in the storm. He will give you rest. I'm going to read one final reminder for scripture and then I'm going to close in prayer. And and this is our inheritance that I'm going to read. This is who God has declared you to be if you believe in him. And this is the standard that he holds us up to because of it. This is from Colossians and and just, just soak this in. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Man, church, that, that is who God wants us to be. That's who he's declared us to be. Let's embrace that. If you need prayer, or if you want to confess something, we have someone in the back prayer room. We would love to walk through that with you. If we haven't met yet and you want to talk to me, I would love to walk through this with you up here. Let me pray, though, to end our time. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the way that you are working through this body. I have seen the kindness and generosity that you have poured forth through us. I pray that you would protect us, Lord. Please protect us from these pleasures. Please let us root it out in our lives viciously. I pray that the Spirit would sit heavy on us about this, that we wouldn't just excuse it or pass it away, but that you'd keep bringing it up in our minds. We know that you are a God of mercy. We know that you accepted us at our vilest state and that you continue to advocate for us. And I just pray that we would walk in that mercy, that we would extend that mercy to others, and that we would show people who you are through our actions. I thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. It's good to be with you, church. Have a good day.